0: and I steal and paraphrase it from Joe Dispenza but he says, the mind craves the familiar and predictable feeling of being you. Mm. And as soon as you venture from that whether that's through breath work and entering into a slightly altered state of consciousness or whether that's through making choices that you don't usually make or that are you know, at odds with the story of the life that you have, mm. the story that you tell yourself about the life you have, suddenly it becomes a little bit unfamiliar and unpredictable, and so the mind will come up with all sorts of reasons why it's a bad idea. You're not good enough. You don't, you're don't. you not qualified. People will think you're weird. You know, when it, when it comes to breath work, it's like, oh, it's cold, it's hard, it's boring, it's stupid, I don't like the music, whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: So the mind comes up with all these stories to, to keep you in the f- familiar and predictable feeling of being you. But what I learn and what I specifically say in a breathwork session is that all of the growth and transformation is on the other side of that predictable and familiar feeling of being you.
1: Welcome back to Stories of Being. I'm Ingrid, and each week I sit down with individuals who are challenging the way we interact with ourselves, each other, and our planet. In this week's episode, I speak to Dave Murphy. Dave is a brand consultant working with conscious and environmentally led brands. He's a breathwork facilitator and coach, and he's also my husband. That's a big one. In this episode, we talk about Dave's journey from leaving kind of 15 years in a very stable, successful, you know, corporate job in the corporate world to going out on his own yeah and and how he got to the point where he felt like he could do that we talk about consciousness consciousness is such like a buzz it feels like it's a bit of a buzz word but we talk about what that actually is and what it means which is different for everyone. Just side note, we talk about becoming more internally focused rather than externally focused, the regeneration of the selves and therefore the world around us and so much more. I obviously spend a lot of time with Dave, but it was really nice to sit down and have this conversation and explore these kind of topics in a more formal setting. I feel like I interrupted him quite a bit, so sorry for that, Dave. But yeah, I really hope you enjoy. I'll link to all of his information. Phone businesses in the show notes. So please enjoy. So I met you nine years ago in New York when we were both living there. And at the time you were working for a big advertising agency on Wall Street, just popping bottles in your lunch. <laughs> Not really, but you know, and that was nine years ago. And compared to where you are now, I would say you're in a different space. So to start off, I'm you're just curious, if you look back on where you were at nine years ago and how you felt nine years ago in terms of career and and life, how do you feel now compared to how you felt at that time in your life?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I've changed a lot in those nine years, obviously, but I also think the world has changed a lot. And maybe that's partially a result of me changing that the world around me has changed. But I think, you know, back then I was driven by a lot more externalities. So money, title, status, you know, the way I've, I felt I was perceived by others was what drove me a lot. It's not to say that those things don't drive me now, but there's much more, I guess they drive me less and there's much more focus on, I suppose, the inner world and also other things that just didn't feel as important to me at the time, like... Connection to nature, connection to myself, connection to family. I, I mean, I now have a family which I didn't then. I obviously had a family, but I mean, I have my own child now and married to you. So yeah, I think I'm a very different person then, and, and what drives me now is not what drove me then. And I think I'm now driven by like a sense of 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 wanting to um, contribute, like a sense of contribution and offering. Um, to the world that will help people is is sort of core to what, I, what I'm doing now, whereas back then it was much more about me and what I can get out of this situation.
1: Yeah, okay. And so if you had to describe, I mean, what do you do now? Like you obviously spent the majority of your career in advertising, working in, you know, the advertising world. I guess, yeah, what do you do now? What would you say to people who ask, what do you do? And... How did you, what was the journey like, I guess, leaving that career that you had always known and then getting to this, the, yeah, the point that you are at now?
0: Yeah. I mean, as you said, I'd, I'd spent over 15 years in advertising, working in various creative agencies all around the world, starting out here in Sydney. And I fell into advertising because uh, like I chose to do that because I didn't know what else to do. And I had a, had a family friend that was in advertising, and they sort of suggested that it's a great place to start because you get exposed to so many different types of businesses and creative people, and it's interesting and it's fun. But that's where I started. Um, I did a business degree at university, also because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I figured pretty much everything in the world is some form of business. So if I can go and learn a bit more about that, that might help me uh, in some way. So started in advertising, and yeah, did that for a long time, and then. I guess at the back end, you know, in the latter years of those 15 years, I started to recognize that the work I was doing was becoming increasingly divergent from my own values and what I cared about in the world. And, you know, I was working with incredibly gifted, smart, talented people, and I still believe they are and some of the smartest, most genuine and beautiful people I've ever met. Work in advertising, some of my best friends are from that industry but I just started to notice that what I valued and what I cared about in the world you know, I wasn't spending my days doing anything to do with that and often you know, some of the brands I was working on were sort of directly opposed to what I valued in the world and what I what I believed in so so I started to explore, I guess, internally first and, and started to learn much more about the world and my role within it and my contribution to it and my impact on it and... I mean there's lots of things we could talk about there but one sort of step in that process was to I'd learnt when we were living in Amsterdam you and I both um had a breathwork experience which for both of us was a breathwork was, was which for both of us was our first breathwork journey and in that I learned that breathwork can be an incredibly powerful tool to help us gain a sense of clarity in terms of what it is we want what our, what our sort of purpose is and so as I was wondering what to do I knew that I was waking up and going, you know, the back end of that, of those 15 years. And particularly in the last couple, I was waking up every day going, this is not what I'm here for, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And it was that voice in my head was getting louder and louder and louder as time went on. And it got to the point where it was impossible to ignore it. And so I knew that breath work might be a tool to help find some clarity in what was next for me. So I booked a a series of, I think about six sessions with a like a private one-on-one breathwork facilitator and sort of showed up to her with this question of what is my next step in my career and in that path can you help me figure out what that next step is and so I told her you know I told her my story and she was like yeah I can I can help you work through that and what I didn't expect or didn't realize that was within that journey and within that process with her even at the end of the very first session I was you know, on the floor in a babbling mess, because all this other stuff had come up around self worth, self belief, self confidence, self love, family dynamics, relationships, all this, all these other sort of all this stuck energy and emotion that was in me, within me was coming up, and she was helping me work through that and release that. And so, over the course of the next six sessions with her, I, you know, let go of so much, so much stored energy, stored emotion, um, limiting beliefs. And yeah, and within that, you know, I also got the clarity and probably more importantly, the confidence and conviction to go and pursue something that I felt more aligned with, which which at the time was to set up my own brand consultancy. So I didn't necessarily want to walk away completely from the career that I had and the skills that I'd built um, over those years. And so I decided to set up my own um, brand consultancy, working with brands that I did feel aligned with and whose, I guess, purpose or role in the world did feel like it aligned with my own and yeah so I came out of that and set up a brand consultancy and you know kind of I guess at that point figured I would just be a brand consultant um, and kind of keep doing what I was doing but just in a way that felt much more aligned which which felt good and felt great and so I did that and, you know we had our, our baby at the same time literally the day I left the corporate world was the day she was born and then I spent the next few weeks you know adjusting to life as a parent and then got on with setting up this consultancy and, and, uh, and have been doing that since. And I feel really good about that. And I've worked with some, some brands and businesses that I feel really excited about who I truly believe in what they're doing. But I guess the one, the one piece I just left out of that story is that within, as I was leaving the corporate world in my last job, I had like a, a long notice period of three months. And I guess once I'd resigned Know, very quickly. I didn't have much left to do. and I
1: remember. Lockdown, <laughs> there was a lot of naps, reading
0: books. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's it. I was It, it was in a lockdown and yeah, I, hadn't, I had very little work to do and I didn't want to just, you know, in hindsight now, I'd love to have just sat around and laid on the couch and, and read books, but at the time I was like, well, I've got all this time. I'm being paid to not do anything. I, I wanted to go and learn something, so I decided to an opportunity to came, came up to do a, a breathwork facilitator training online, which I, I just chose to do that. Not, not really with any intention of, of necessarily becoming a breathwork facilitator, but I just knew I was about to step out on my own into this like unknown world of having my own business. And it was so powerful and, and important in my own journey. I just wanted to learn more about it and didn't know what would happen once I did it. So I did a breathwork facilitator training and yeah, probably for like six months didn't really do anything with it didn't really have any plans to do anything with it and then actually your sister was the first person I ever um, facilitated a session for and she came out of it went and felt like that was really really wild powerful experience and so I was like okay this you know this does work Um, and so just did it with a couple of mates you know a friend invited a few guys around to an apartment before a running session and we lay in this apartment early in Bondi and 6am on a weekday morning and did a breathwork session and they all were like wow that's wild that's incredible. So I just planted a seed that there was something here and yeah I guess fast forward a year or 18 months after that I've, I've built out a breathwork offering where I now focus almost specifically or primarily on corporate experiences and workshops and Helping teams and senior leaders within businesses and companies experience the power of breathwork as a means to enhance, you know, clarity, creativity, connection. And so now, this is a long way of answering your question, but now I have these two businesses, I suppose, one being this like brand strategy consultancy for impact-led brands that feel aligned with my own values. And then the other one is this breathwork, well-being, sort of... Um, facilitator for corporate experiences and businesses and I am layering layering on another layer to that around um, the neuroscience of flow state and peak performance which is something I'm currently studying but essentially that's building out an offering for businesses and, and companies and specifically I guess more senior leadership teams within those as a means to enhance yeah, their well-being and also their sense of clarity and creativity. So I've kind of got these two businesses which feel a little bit sort of separate from each other and feel like two two babies or two children, which I I, I do love both, um, obviously. But at the moment, is that, so it's a long way of answering your question. I, it's hard for me to answer the question of like, what do you do today? Because they're, they're, they're what I do, which I suppose you know, I don't need to tell everyone this whole story that I've just told you. But yeah, they're both in a state of growth and evolution. So then I'm not exactly clear on what either of them look like, but I know that I'm really energized by doing both.
1: I'm Obviously, I want to go into like the type of breath work you do and also just importance of just breath in general, which is not something we necessarily think about when we think of, like, health and well-being. But before that, I just wanted to, like, chat about something super quickly. And you mentioned when you were doing the um, the six sessions when you were kind of just feeling like this isn't right, like, what's next? What do I do, etc. And you mentioned about, like, getting clarity on that next step. But I'm curious, like, I feel like often we're looking when we feel like stuck or like something isn't right or we want to change jobs or move somewhere or whatever. I don't want to say everyone, but for me personally, and I would say it's maybe common with lots of people. It's like looking for the exact next thing and this next thing is it. And like, if I go from X to Y, then that's it. And it can be, you know, we're looking for the exact right thing. And I'm curious if that was your experience, like you had a breathwork session and it was like, oh, I'm doing this, or it was more like this permission to try the next thing and then see how it unfolded. Does that make sense? So mm. from this black and white, like, oh, I'm in marketing and now I'm going to do breathwork and that's it and that's my journey, Yeah. compared to this, like, oh, I'm going to study and then see how that unfolds. Yeah,
0: yeah it does make sense. I mean, I, I'm guilty. I think a lot of people are guilty of that, myself included, particularly when i was doing this cuz cuz people want to be able to answer that question what do you do they want to have a really clear and and what they feel like will be a impressive not for like not i guess it's egotistical a little bit but it's people just want to have a nice answer to that question
1: also i think it's just about having the certainty of like
0: yeah. this is what i do and it's probably I'll, as much for yourself as it is yeah because the then, then
1: you feel safer and like
0: and you have that your, connection your identity is closely very a lot of people their identity is very closely intertwined with what they do, um, and so when you don't have a clear answer to that question, it, it's it's um, unsettling for you, or it can be unsettling for me as a, for for people. And it was unsettling for me. It probably still is. But to answer your question, I think I think that is the only way forward. Is is not like we can never know. We we cannot know what the path will be all we can do is take the first step or the next step. And that's what I felt like I tried to do. And I was, and I'm still a little bit guilty of this, but I would, I would, I would write down the financial model of how it would work and how, how much I'd need to make a month and how I would make that amount per month to give myself the peace of mind that this could work. Mm -hmm. And it's never worked out how I've written down because you cannot know. And all you can do is take the first step. And so I think if you If you, honestly, if you'd said to me, I mean, we've had the, you you know, because we had the conversation, but if two, two years ago, maybe even a bit more, two and a half years ago, you'd said to me, we were, no, it would have been two years ago, that I would be facilitating leadership workshops and breathwork events and um, facilitating, you know, team offsites around breathwork and wellbeing and flow state and creativity for businesses. I just... It was so far removed from what I was doing at the time, so far removed, so far removed from the skills I had at the time. And there was just no world in which I imagined that's what I would be doing. But I took the first step and actually in in some ways, I mean, the first step was doing the uh, certification, like training, but the first step was doing, facilitating a session with your sister, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like she was just lying on a bed in our house and I didn't know what I would, if I'd ever even do a session after that or if i become like a breath, like I didn't know any of it, but it was just doing the, the thing that, yes. to the next thing.
1: Yes, I think that's that's a good, it's like this, I'm actually saying this to myself, <laughs> but it's like the one step at a time. I think it's, it's, yeah, and it's natural because it's that safety and that's that certainty piece, but it's like I'm going to be X and you're all, but in that same second you're like, Five years ahead, and yeah, it's the end result, but it's actually the um, just literally one step at a time.
0: Yeah, I always say it's funny. I say this often in introductions to breathwork events that I facilitate, or even corporate sessions, and I and I steal and paraphrase it from Joe Dispenza. But he says the mind craves the familiar and predictable feeling of being you, Mm. and as soon as you venture from that, whether that's through breathwork and entering into a slightly altered state of consciousness. Or whether that's through making choices that you don't usually make or that are, you know, at odds with the story of the life that you have, mm. the story that you tell yourself about the life you have, suddenly it becomes a little bit unfamiliar and unpredictable. And so the mind will come up with all sorts of reasons why it's a bad idea. You're not good enough. You don't, you're not qualified. People will think you're weird. You know, when it, when it comes to breath work, it's like, oh, it's cold, it's hard, it's boring, it's stupid, I don't like the music, whatever. Yeah. So the mind comes up with all these stories to pre- to keep you in the f- familiar and predictable feeling of being you. But what I learn and what I specifically say in a breathwork session is that all of the growth and transformation is on the other side of that predictable and familiar feeling of being you.
1: Mm, yeah. And so if you had to, so breathwork, like <laughs> it's definitely coming up more, like you hear about breathwork much more than you did, say, maybe. Yeah. Five years ago, two years ago, yeah, two years ago, yeah. Um, I guess just chat a little about, ba- little bit about what it is, and then like the type of breath work that you do, and what, how it works, and its benefits, and the power of all the breath work you do. But I guess just the breath in general.
0: Yeah, um, there's a lot to a lot of ways to answer that question. I mean, I'll start by saying when you hear the term breath work, it can mean a whole spectrum of things, um. People like Wim Hof have popularized... You know, he's called his method the Wim Hof method, um, and he's popularized breathwork for a lot of people, particularly, um, you know, in Western cultures. But breathwork's been around for thousands of years, practiced by mystics and yogis for thousands of years. And there's hundreds, potentially probably even thousands, of forms of breathwork or modalities of breathwork. Basically, breathwork is just a form of conscious breathing, being being aware of the breath. On average, we take 25,000 breaths a day. And on average, most people are aware of none of them, um, and it, yet it is the source of your life, of, your, of you being alive, and and the um, and the it is the, the life giving energy. Yes, through which we, we live. Um, but most people are not aware of any any breath they take, and so breath work is the practice of becoming conscious of your breathing. Now that can just be as simple as sitting there, and you know, people who meditate often focus on the breath as a focus of that meditation. But breath work can be as simple as you might, I mean, people might be familiar with things like box breathing, which is just a very simple, very basic and accessible form or technique of breathing, which you can do anywhere. You can do it sitting at your desk, in the car, on the couch, in bed, even walking. And that's probably one of the most accessible and popular types of breath work. And it, it's usually just a four-second inhale, a four-second hold, a four-second exhale, and a four-second hold. And you just repeat that pattern, it sort of makes the box shape. That's why it's called box breathing or square breathing.
1: And is that more um, for like feeling calm and
0: stress and Yeah. yeah. It's super effective at down regulating the nervous system. So when you're in a state of stress or anxiety or you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed, it's very effective to just do that breathing pattern. It doesn't have to be four seconds as well. It could be th- the threes, three, 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 or six or whatever, but most people do four. Um, and it's just very good at calming the nervous system. So that's a type of breath work, and you just do that for a few minutes or five minutes or so, and it's very effective. Um, and then at, I suppose at the other end of the spectrum are things like holotropic breath work, which is like a deep, you know, two-hour immersive shamanic, um, in many ways psychedelic breath work experience. And so, holotropic breath work was developed by a man named Stanislav Grof, who was studying psychedelic experiences um, in clinical settings in the 1950s so how psychedelics could be used to in therapeutic sessions to work through um, trauma or you know limiting beliefs or addiction or whatever it might be Um, so he was studying psychedelics and then in the in the 50s and 60s all psychedelic research was shut down by the government and so he discovered that you could replicate the psychedelic experience without ingesting anything and he discovered that breath work could be used as a means to activate or produce dimethyltryptamine DMT which is the, the psychoactive compound in many psychedelic drugs or psychedelic substances um, and he discovered that you could activate that through the breath so he developed this, this method of breathing which he coined the holotropic breath work. And so that's at the other end of the spectrum, and that's where you'll have, you know, that's often your your if you've ever experienced that, or if you've seen seen that, perhaps you know on you know on Instagram or on TV or something, people are often you know it's, it's you're lying down on your back, it's usually in like a sort of ceremonial circle or setting like that, and you can have incredibly deep, powerful, transcendental, transformative um, experiences. People often describe huge release like an energetic release an emotional release um clarity creativity
1: that is that what we did at the thing yeah, yeah.
0: so that was yes. our well that was mine I think your yeah. first experience with breath work yeah. yes
1: okay yeah yeah sorry so, continue I didn't mean to interrupt
0: no that's okay so that so I say that because there's a whole spectrum of breath work so it can mean anything within so I guess box breathings at one end holotropic breathings at the other end I mean there might be other things but you know for the sake of this conversation. And then there's everything in the middle, and the type of breathwork I facilitate or that I was trained in is called uh, hypnobreathwork, which probably su- sits somewhere somewhere in the middle, but definitely more towards the holotropic intense end. So it's a sort of a deep experiential breathwork experience, um, and it basically combines breathwork, obviously, but with with other modalities. One being hypnosis, um, and I always feel like I have to caveat hypnosis by saying it's nothing like stage hypnosis. It's really just me or the facilitator of breath work providing vocal cues and and prompts and questions. So as you move into a slightly altered state of consciousness, which you will through the breath work, your subconscious mind becomes more receptive to questions and prompts and cues, which the facilitator will give. And it just allows you to surface things in the subconscious mind and perhaps see any limiting beliefs or stories or old habits, beliefs, behaviors that you might carry and allows you to become aware of them and then see them from a different perspective, and hopefully then ultimately rewire them, reframe them, reprogram them. So, yeah, breathwork combines breathwork with hypnosis, and then as we've done that, we then transition into a visioning exercise or process, which, again, from an altered state of consciousness is incredibly powerful. Um, it's based, along, based on a lot of Dr. Joe Dispenza's work um, around sort of stepping into the experience before it's happened, and, and that, that sort of manifests in... It changes your your genetic expression, um, which can um, result in um, you know the attracting of, of that like frequency as you as you sort of see and feel and generate the emotional state of the desired experience. You're more likely to attract the frequency of that experience to you, and then the the session finishes with a a deep meditation experience, which which most people this is one of my favorite things. Most people. Get to the end of a hypno breathwork session and we enter into the meditation. And then when we come out of that, people often look at me in wonder at how deep their meditation was. And they were like, I had a complete out of body experience, or I had complete dissolution of the ego, or I, I, there were no thoughts. I was completely, I was um, levitated, whatever they might, they might describe. And, and I, it's because we have, when we, when we breathe in that way, we over-oxygenate the body, and in particular the brain, and when we over-oxygenate, over-oxygenate the brain, in particular the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is the sort of locus of, of, of who we think we are and the story of our personality and a lot of our rational analytical decision-making exists in the prefrontal cortex, and when we breathe in that way, we shut that part of the brain down, and so when you enter into a meditation without that part of the brain being active, it's essentially taken offline or put to sleep, so that part of the brain isn't active. So all of the stories and the voice in your head of who you think you are and all the limiting beliefs and the just the distraction of the the sort of chaotic mind is no longer there and then you often become just at one with the present experience and people describe this feeling of tapping into the you know the quantum field whatever they describe it as or a higher consciousness or whatever language they use but often the meditation experience is one of the most powerful parts of the experience so all that to say that hypno breathwork is I guess, a combination of those modalities, obviously with breath work at the foundation of it all and is, the, is present right throughout, but um, yeah.
1: And so when you, when people can access, when the prefrontal free front, free cortex is shut down, is that then why people can get insight into like the next step or what's holding them back or yeah. yeah, a creative idea, whatever it is, because yeah, the way they usually do things is not operating, essentially?
0: In some ways, yes. So as the prefrontal cortex shuts down, we essentially create... Two, a couple of things happen. We create space for this, the subconscious mind to surface. So the subconscious mind is always there. It's the lens through which we see the world. You know, research suggests that 95% of who we are by the time we're age about um, 30 or 35 is stored in the subconscious mind. So it's, it's the length, lens through which we see the world that we're usually not aware of. And so when we shut down or take offline the prefrontal cortex, we often create the space for the subconscious mind to surface. And in the subconscious mind, once we once that surfaces and we become aware of it, we start to see beliefs, stories, patterns. Um, we just become aware of them. Yes, That's the right. first step to being able to change them. But the other thing that happens is that the, that type of breathwork activates different regions of the brain. So if we hooked your brain up during a breathwork experience like that to one of those sort of brain scanners... You would see all different parts of the brain become activated or come online that are not active in regular waking consciousness. And when we do that, we, we when they become active, they start to generate new pathways and new connections with other t- parts of the brain. And so these new pathways and new connections are literally the basis and foundation for having a new idea or a new insight or a new perspective. It's because of a literally a new part of the brain is connecting with a, another part of the brain. So that is why it's so powerful at enhancing our sense of creativity or seeing, letting go or reframing limiting beliefs or seeing things clearly because we're literally creating new neural pathways in the brain and new connections in the brain.
1: And is that when you talk about like um, old states of consciousness consciousness, when doing breath work, is that what you're kind of referring to?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. Like yes, to a degree, but I think there's something that I don't know how to put into words that happens yeah. in a breathwork experience. Not every breath. I should also caveat that these really deep experiences don't happen every time and, you know, set and setting is really important for that. But for that really, like, altered state of consciousness and, yeah, that real sense of transcendence or transformation or whatever words you want to use, I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what happens. Like, I think there's some connection to some other something
1: or, or it's just, I I don't have any idea, but if I think about that holotropic, I've only done holotropic breathing once, but it was next level. And it's all, I don't know what it is, but maybe it's like, your my experience anyway, it's like you're so inward that you, you're so inward, but you're so outward. Like it was like I was so connected almost to... Myself, but in a very like, I lost all sense of time and and all of that stuff. So it's like the old test state of consciousness is almost almost like because you're so connected to yourself. Mm. So you then become connected to everything. I don't know. It's very hard to explain, but when I think about that experience
0: mm.
1: and it went for an hour or whatever, but it felt like a second. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Does that That
0: make, I mean, again, back to the prefrontal cortex, all that sense of time. Exists in the prefrontal cortex when that shuts sh- shuts down. There is also evidence, and you know, a lot of anecdotal, definitely evidence, but even scientific evidence to suggest that um, the pineal gland becomes sort of activated, right, um, in our brains. So that's you know, of, often, especially in sort of more spiritual communities, described as like our connection to oh. higher consciousness, so the universe, the universe
1: feels comfortable, I guess, for you know,
0: yeah. State of consciousness that we are all capable of accessing. Not everyone maybe wants to, but it can be can be a very illuminating, transformational, sometimes challenging um, space to go. And if you're interested in going there, I generally most people have. There's a lot of growth that happens there, whether it's easy or not. But there's a lot of growth that happens there. Mm.
1: And I think, like you said, it doesn't necessarily happen. In each no. session, you know, like it's so dependent on the person what they want to get out of
0: it, and I think you know it's dependent on what their body needs at, in that moment, yeah, what their consciousness needs, and and then also just on you know practical things like the room, who's in the room, who the facilitator is, what the music's like, what they what they did that day, yeah, what they've got going on in their life at that time. So it's, there's lots of things that um, that will influence a breathwork journey. But one thing that is pretty consistent is that, you know, just at a, a physiological level, it's a very cleansing practice. You know, we expel 75% of toxins in our body through our breath. And so when we breathe in a way like that, we're, we're literally cleansing the body. and We're o- oxygenating the brain in a way that it's not really used to. I mean, one thing as a quick tangent is that I believe we all exist in a low key state of stress pretty much all the time and that's not a judgment on anyone and I'm, I'm, I'm part of that. Um, but just modern day life is inherently stressful. Some people much more than others. And some people have circumstances that are genuinely, you know, high, high states of stress. You know, most people in modern day life are in a low key state of stress. Most of the time, the issue with that is that it activates or that our sympathetic nervous system, which is our like fight or flight sort of state or mode is generally activated or like, sort of subtly activated most of the time and the issue with that is that when we are in our f- fight or flight state the body's physiological response because the body doesn't know you're not in actual physical danger mm-hmm. and it believes that you are in actual physical danger and so the bo- body's physiological response is to send oxygen to the major muscle groups so that they are prepared to basically to run if they need to and the issue with that is that that oxygen that gets sent to the major muscle groups doesn't it, it it compromises the amount of oxygen that gets sent to the brain. So the brain's basically in a state of oxygen deficiency most of the time, and, and that inhibits or compromises our ability to have clear thought and creativity. Mm-hmm. And so when we b- do breath work, even if you don't have any of this sort of transcendental or like transformational or big emotional release or whatever, you are just oxygenating the brain in the way that it kind of op- optimally is, is being oxi- oxygenated. It's just very good for your sense of clarity and...
1: And calm, getting to a
0: state of calm. Yeah, and and, down-regulating you out of that state of fight or flight into the parasympathetic state, which is the rest and digest state. And again, physiologically, it's just very good for our cellular health to have oxygen delivered to our cells all throughout our body. So we're releasing toxins, we're oxygenating our cells, we're down-regulating the nervous system, we're letting go of stress and anxiety. So... Yeah, even without this sort of big transformation, it still is just a very yes. beneficial
1: practice. Yeah, and that's when you can like if you're sick, your body can actually repair and all of that stuff, right? When you're in um parasympathetic. Like rest and yeah. digest. Yeah. And then whoops. With um you mentioned it just then, but oh yeah, releasing of emotions. Uh maybe talk a bit a little bit about that and like Um, how it how breathwork helps releasing emotions and yeah, why I guess yeah traumas and emotions can kind of like actually get stuck
0: in the body. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of evidence now emerging, particularly as the as a result of the work Dr. Bessel van der Kolk has done and in his book um, called "The Body Keeps the Score." Yes, that emotion is stored in our bodies, not in our minds, and so the The work that's being done is showing that we store emotion and trauma in what's called the fascia and the myofascia, which is like this spiderweb-like substance that wraps around all of our muscles and all of our vascular system. And so all the work he's done and many others um, is showing that yeah, we store our emotions in our body and not in our mind. And basically all all emotion is, is just energy in motion traveling through the body. And uh, when we experience emotions... Usually humans don't want to experience negative emotions. So anything we might consider to be an unpleasant negative emotion, like like fear, grief, pain, anger, sadness, frustration, guilt, shame, whatever, lots of others. Whatever we think might be a negative emotion, we don't want to feel it. And the way we prevent ourselves from feeling negative emotions is by holding our breath. We don't think about it in the moment. It's it's not something we're conscious of. But when we don't want to feel a negative emotion, we hold our breath. I always give the classic example of, of that most people can probably relate to is if, you, if you're at work and, and your boss gets angry at you or calls you out in front of your team for doing something wrong or they thought you did something wrong or embarrasses you or a client gets really mad at you or something, you might feel like you want to get upset, maybe cry, maybe get angry. But you also probably don't want to do that because you don't think that's appropriate to do in the workplace. So the way you'll prevent yourself from expressing that emotion is by holding your breath and you won't think about it in the moment. It's not a conscious thought. It's just what we do to prevent the expression of emotion. Conversely, on the flip side, like a more positive um, example of that or, or an example that involves a more positive emotion. If you remember when you were a kid at school and maybe you and your best friend were sitting in the classroom and you were sort of giggling your heads off at something that no one else was laughing at and just the two of you thought was hilarious and you couldn't stop laughing, the teacher's sort of telling you to shut up and pay attention. And that even makes it even more funny and you just can't stop laughing the way you and your friend will probably try and sort of hide the laughter is by holding your breath. Mm. You won't think about it, but it's the way we prevent it's the body's prevention of the expression of emotion is by holding our breath. The issue is that when we when we don't release that energy in motion or allow it to flow through the body, it gets stuck in the body and it becomes stagnant. That energy, all emotion is, is just energy in motion and that energy becomes stagnant in the body and a lot of this research is now suggesting that that stuck and stagnant energy is the, is the sort of precursor to so much disease and illness that we now see in people, so much chronic disease and illness, um, because people just don't release emotions. We all just have so many stored emotions that we layer on over days and weeks and months and years that we never release. And so to answer your question, breathwork is incredibly effective at coming or allowing you to sort of come back in and dislodge and then... Uh-huh, move that energy through the body and start to release it out of the body.
1: Yes, which I guess is why um, in these sessions, any sort of breath work session, yeah, people can like be hysterically laughing or crying or shaking is another common yeah. one of like getting rid of that, just the shit that's still yeah. in our body.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, I always sort of give the heads up, especially for newbies in a, in a group session. That it's quite possible you might experience some emotion. Usually it's crying, but it can be laughing. And I've actually had quite a few laughing ones recently, it can be shaking. And usually people don't know why they're crying. Yes. So often people come out with a sort of this beautiful sense of release and yeah. relief and peace and like, peace. Yeah. And, and they've got tears in their eyes as they kind of come out of the session, or tears streaming down their face. And they sort of look at me and they're like, Almost laughing, crying, going, I, I, don't know why I'm crying, yeah. but it just feels so good. Yes. And I always say to them, on my belief or assertion is that I, it doesn't matter why you're crying. Mm. It's just your body has released something yes. that it's been holding for probably a very long time—some big stuck energy and emotion that we that we've been holding." And another thing that can be that's sort of related to this is we all we all have trauma. We all have. Some of us, unfortunately, have much more severe or sort of intense trauma than others, uh, but we all have a form of trauma. And in any traumatic experience, the first thing the body's the, – in any traumatic experience, the first thing the body does as a physiological response is to inhale. Mm. And so if you can imagine, you know, and this is – you can talk about this if you want, but like um, ice baths mm-hmm. are, are a form of trauma on the body. Mm-hmm. The first thing anyone does when they get into an ice bath is they go, <gasps> Oh my god it's so cold oh my god <gasps> yeah it's massive inhale and you never really release that yes. and now that's that's like you've chosen that form of trauma yeah like you're choosing to get usually choosing to get into a nice bath but if you I mean this is maybe unpleasant to think about but if you sort of are walking on the street and you su- see someone get hit by a bus you will go
1: <gasps> yeah
0: so that is a form of trauma witnessing that yes. and, and any our human physiological response to any form of trauma is to inhale. We never really release that breath. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, like, you know, I've done both, like, traditional talk therapy and then, like, more whatever you want to call it, alternative things like breath work and kinesiology and stuff like that. And I really think, like, the talk therapy was extremely helpful in, like, understanding stuff and, like, almost, like, filing and processing information and experiences and all of that sort of stuff which was extremely helpful but then things like breath work and kinesiology was actually the release and the like the, mm. you know getting it out of the body in mm. the system yeah because you can um you can logically and uh intellectually intellectually yeah like work through things and figure it out but then i also think there needs to be the the release of it from the body. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, I think that's like
0: Well, I mean key. What you're pointing to is this is the the sort of modern perspective on call it therapy is to and this is not a judgment, but it has been to isolate the mind and the body and treat them as separate. Whereas a lot of the more I guess ancient or traditional wisdom speaks to them as being connected and that you can't treat one without the other or you can't sort of fix one without acknowledging the other in that in that healing journey. And so what you're describing is, I, I guess, I believe the necessary combination of being able to work through something logically, intellectually, rationally, analytically, as well as somatically yes. through the body.
1: Yes. And I think that will happen more in the sense of like psychologists or therapists or whatever, also um including, yeah, more somatic stuff yeah. into their practices and vice versa. Yeah. You know, like and it's yeah, it's the we- combination of both.
0: Yeah. And and to I guess give the example the other way, you could go into if you especially if you're someone that's had a lot of, you know, trauma or stress or anxiety or, you know, just challenge in life, if you just went in and did things like breath work but had no Support through integration in terms of because stuff comes up and people can have very intense emotional experiences in a session and you know I've seen them I've facilitated people through that and it's it's pretty full on and if they don't have some sense of support emotional talk based support yes during and after it's probably an incomplete process
1: yes yeah yeah because then it's the experience is like has been opened and, like, half-released, but yeah. there's no, yeah, there's no, like, yeah, just support through then like, letting go of it. It's just yeah. been opened and it's, like, floating around. And sometimes rather we, than
0: Yeah, we just need to make sense of things intellectually. Yes. Or we, you know, we're humans that live sort of with the stories that we tell ourselves, and that's not a judgment, it's just what we do. And sometimes if that story is complete chaos... And no clarity on what's just happened or why or who or any of that. We just I think it's really helpful to have that.
1: Yes. Yeah. So you need both. Something we talk a bit about from time to time is this like this idea of like internal versus external. Mm-hmm. Um, and the neither is like better or worse, you know, they're just two very different things. And I guess something like breath work So, Brett, there's, okay, two things I'm thinking about is, like, there's breathwork and then there's things like psychedelics. So, I would say, like, breathwork's, like, more of an internal, Mm -hmm. would put it in the internal bucket and then, like, psychedelics is external Mm -hmm. and both have a place, I would say. um, I would say there's probably currently, like, more emphasis on the external, but I guess, yeah, what are your thoughts on, like, using both the internal resources and the external and, like, yeah, like just because it's not good or bad. But sometimes I feel because I actually think psychedelics are amazing and they can truly be life-changing and, you know, I've had experiences where it's been, like, quite literally life-changing. So there's definitely a need for them for sure. It's just sometimes I see almost like, it's still just another external thing you keep going back to and I can't do X because I have to do another journey or whatever. You know what I mean? And, like, what's the balance, I guess,
0: just of internal versus external? And in- Yeah, I know it's, not- it's a great question. And just to clarify the question at the end, the in terms of self-exploration, like the balance yeah, of internal...
1: Both. Well, I guess self-exploration and healing, but also, like, on a bigger picture.
0: Yeah, because... Reason I ask that is because we have we have sort of been looking to externalities to comfort and entertain and support and explore probably forever I suppose. Um, more more recently we've looked to things like um, alcohol and um, like maybe harder drugs like cocaine to to alter our state of consciousness. Um, to make life more bearable, enjoyable, whatever your reason for those things is, um, and yeah, I think your question is right. Like we've looked to these substances, external externalities, I suppose, um, to help us or to to change our state of consciousness. And psychedelics is is one that fits in that boat or in that bucket. One, it's slightly different in that it's potentially it's slightly different in that it's a I guess a method of deep self inquiry. So it's like you almost have to ingest something you have to ingest something external to then go deeply internal. Yes. Um
1: I also just sorry, before you go on I'd say there's a big difference between doing something like psychedelics in like a healing yeah. self exploration set uh setting and like the intention behind it versus doing it for fun, which is not bad at all. Mm. But they're two very different yeah. um circumstances. Yeah.
0: And I guess yeah, that's very good clarification. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I think, like you said, I agree. There's definitely value across across both. Um, I just like, and I'm a big supporter and believer in psychedelics too. But I do like breath work, just as a at a, at a sort of basic, simplistic level of that. It, it doesn't require anything other than you. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as Stanislav Grof sort of discovered. <laughs> can almost replicate a psychedelic experience and often I've had people describe that they've done that. and I've done that. Um, it may not be as long or as intense or maybe it's more like different every time. But yeah, I think there's something, there's something beautiful about not needing something else yes. and to ingest or to take, or even to go anywhere. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to wear anything specific. You don't have to be like, there's nothing. You can do it as long as you can lie down and you're, Probably not going to be interrupted. You, that's all. That's all you need. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I like the simplicity of that and the accessibility of that.
1: Yes. And I think, I think it. I don't know this thing. I'm. So I don't know what the word is, but saying or just is like coming up a bit more is like understanding our own power and. If we change, not change, but like how do I describe it, the way we feel and operate is actually really important to then the way the world feels and operates. And often we're looking for X, Y, Z to change before things okay and that everyone's okay, which is important, like for sure. You know, it's it's this really fine balance between individual and collective. But I am starting to realize that actual like, individual, like, um, strength and peace and contentment and healing, whatever, number one is then reflected more so in the world, but then also if someone's coming from that place of, like, not completely wounded and, you know, coming from a place of pain and all of that sort of stuff, just generally they're going to make better decisions than for Mm. the, the collective, yeah. And I think... So, and you can get to that place obviously through psychedelics, and you can then understand your own power and you heal and your own peace. But I just think it's really nice then to know that you can access it yourself because it just kind of um, reinforms and like uh, uh, cements that feeling of like if you change, like you have so much. If you change and you feel good, or and you're not, it's not like toxic positivity, but it's like accessing and just knowing your power and that. You, as an individual, then can change the world. You don't have to go and do great things and, like, you know, run a country or start a company or whatever. But it's just then the way you interact with people or you parent or you are as a family member that then just creates ripples. Totally. You know, and if the majority of people were in that mm. space, then shit looks completely
0: different. Completely different. Yeah. One thing I just thought of as you were saying that, which I think reinforces that point is maybe with psychedelics and any other substances, there's one layer of separation from, it gives you an excuse to go, that wasn't me or that was a induced mm. vision or insight or perspective that that I only got because of what I took. Yes. And I think with your breath, there's not there's no layer in between you and whatever has come up or whatever insight or perspective you've got so there's a, perhaps a deeper truth to it that you yes. will viscerally feel and then perhaps take on board as, as truth or as you know a catalyst for change because there is not an excuse to go yeah but i was i was high or like yes. you know i was on i was tripping or whatever and so i think that is perhaps a layer of yeah, power that comes with breath work. Yes. It's not to say, I mean, I've had some incredibly trans- transformational psychedelic experiences too. But yeah, maybe that's different.
1: Yeah. And it's not, I don't think, I don't, it's not definitely not like not, we shouldn't do something because it's they, not a they, comparison. No, yeah. it's not a comparison. I just was thinking, it's just that thought about that balance between internal and external and like just yeah. um, r- remembering our own, just what we can what impact we have like, in the world. And again, it's not about, like, the greatest, biggest thing. It can just be, this, you know, the smallest thing, you know, like, yeah. like, like watering your plants or whatever. <laughs> but, like, all of no, these things make a the, huge, huge difference.
0: It's the collective, I guess, outcome or result of all these little things that millions and hopefully billions of us do. And, you know, I heard a quote yesterday that was, the way out of all of this is within... And, yes. um, I do believe that and I do believe that you know there's so many particularly I mean there's a there's a very masculine dominant sort of I guess operating system that exists in culture at the moment and and I really believe that so much in, in like particularly in business and yeah, probably in government probably definitely in government like so so much of um, decision making and conversation is coming from a from a Activated place of like activated nervous systems that are, you know, they're not aware of it, and and I'm certainly not immune to this as well. But of of like people making decisions based on like fear and scarcity and um and being like triggered and threatened or feeling a sense of being threatened, um, whether that's physically or probably not. It's probably not physically for most. It's um it's like threat to their identity, threat to their. Financial security, whatever it might be. And yeah, I really feel like if a, a, a way to, a helpful tool in the, in the progress through all of the challenges we face is like coming, is starting from a place of not being activated and our, our nervous systems not being a, in like a defensive, threatened state.
1: Mm. Yeah. Cause I guess it's then when it's more about control and dominance and, yeah, not collaboration and mm, it's all around awesome. know, narrow rather than um, holistic. And that's yeah, we bit. could use it in like a business sense. Yeah, you know, like
0: there's a there's an amazing business I admire and that come out of America in LA, I think, um, called Mudwater and they basically create a, a coffee like alternative, but it's got you know functional mushrooms and cacao and cinnamon and all that stuff. It's beautiful. It's really tasty and it does have a little bit of caffeine. Anyway. they're they're a very successful business and I don't know whether it's true or not but I kind of believe that it is but apparently I've read an interview with the founder who says that they start quite a big company now they start every single meeting with five minutes of breath work and and as far as I'm aware that's them sitting around a table probably one of them leading it just some long slow deep functional breathing in through the nose out through the mouth deep into the belly down regulating the nervous system and imagine if every it, might, it probably sounds silly, and it also probably sounds quite impractical. But having worked in the corporate world, I can imagine if you if you began every meeting, because usually most people in that world are sort of rushing from meeting to meeting to missed calls to unanswered emails to trying to have a social life and speak to their family during the day. And and all of it's just very intense and very activating. And like we were talking about before, there's a sense of um, threat Fight or flight, it's low key for most people and it's not you know it's certainly not life threatening. But yeah, if we could just start and make business decisions and, and decisions in general from a place of feeling connected to yourself and not activated, not triggered, not threatened. I just think that would be a very powerful transformation that we would see in the world.
1: Okay. So on that, I guess, like where we think about business and also, you know. You have a like understanding of you know the corporate world and everything, and you know if if one thinks about the future, it's like businesses should and will exist. You know, I don't think businesses are like yeah, yeah. should be eradicated. Like if we think about yeah. a better world, an in inverted commerce, but if you think about business now and what it could look like, like what are the what are the current challenges, I guess, and um, you know, things mm. that don't work well, and then what could it mm. look like? And it's such a broad question, yes. I know, because every business is different. Yeah. Um mm.
0: Yeah. Um I mean I'll preface this question by or answer by saying um I'm kind of learning about this at the moment and I'm at the beginning of this learning journey. So I'm sure if you asked me this in a few months I'd know a lot a lot a lot more. But I think Currently, business has a very me- mechanistic um, perspective on how it operates, and it's very siloed and compartmentalized. And we see, or business, you know, I'll just talk about a fictional business here, but a fictional business sees its role in the world as just what it does, and it just controls the bits that it controls, maybe the product it makes and the process it makes that product by and the people that are involved, and that's all just separate from the rest of the world. And the, I'd
1: also, sorry to interrupt, it separate from the rest of the business often. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah. continue, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that the people that are involved in that process are just employees that it doesn't matter what they do when they're not employees kind of thing. And the product they make serves its purpose when it serves its purpose, but when it's not serving its purpose, it sort of doesn't exist. Um, and so it's a very, yeah, siloed, compartmentalized, me- mechanistic Perspective. And I, I think we are seeing the beginnings of a new perspective on what a new perspective emerging on what business's role is within the world and what our role is within business. And it's much more holistic and interconnected. And nothing is necessarily separate from the other. And it's all, um, yeah, it's all connected. And it is a more feminine perspective um, or a feminine way of being. And yeah, I, I just think we'll see businesses begin to acknowledge their role in the world beyond the product that they make, and I mean we we'll already see it with some businesses, but I think the depth at, at which we'll see that will will really start to grow, and we'll start to see so much of the so much of the like externalities that are not priced into businesses, like like when you when you buy a food product, for example, it's very likely that there's quite a lot of chemicals involved in the production of that food product that probably had quite a harmful effect on the environment. And none of that's priced into the product and none of, it's, none of it matters to the business. It's not considered in any way and I think we'll just start to see those kinds of things become considered and incorporated and I don't know how or I don't know what it'll look like but we'll just start to see that
1: and, emerge. And do you think that comes will come from... Um like consumer demand, so people learning more about how things are made, wanting, you know, making choices, you know, to buy from a different place. So then, you know, maybe bigger companies have to make different decisions. Do you think it comes from the people inside the business? Like
0: Good question. Yeah, yeah. I mean I hope it I hope it comes from all of those places and I expect it probably will. Um because as people more more people, I mean I believe in I might be in sort of my own little bubble, but I do believe there is a evolution of consciousness underway, and I actually don't think many people would dispute that something's shifting. I yes. mean, as this, the world's certainly not in in a sort of stable uh, place right now. Yes, um, it, across so many facets and factors, like there's there's definitely something changing, and and I believe part of that is an evolution of consciousness. And why? Can sorry.
1: You, sorry. Can you just before you go on? Like, for people who don't necessarily use terms or resonate with, like, the word consciousness, like, do you want to just maybe, like, talk to what that means and yeah. just, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it through the lens of, I guess, what happened to me or the journey that I've been on. Because when I was, you know, like, we started this conversation when I was sort of in advertising and early in my career, and I was very driven by, I, I, I sought... External, you know, materials or or things in the world as a means to derive meaning to myself. So I, I you know, I, I pursued, like I said earlier, like money, status, possessions were important to me. Things as well, like a holiday to a certain place, um,
1: oh, a fancy car, <laughs> fastest car in the world. Yeah, I don't
0: accept. I never had one of those. But <laughs> and it's also I'll caveat this by saying no, those things are wrong. And it's not wrong to want those things. No, But as I've, I guess, been on my own journey, what I value in the world and what I seek in the world um, and what I want for myself has changed. And so I'm much more driven now by meaningful relationships, connection to nature, a sense of purpose, a sense of contribution, family. And, you know, m- maybe part of that's getting older too. Like I'm, I'm obviously older than I was when I started my career.
1: I've almost struggled and couldn't necessarily identify what consciousness is. And obviously I've heard a lot and had lots of podcasts and everything where that topic comes up a lot. And I've always, I understand, but I also don't at the same time. But as you were talking, I was thinking, simplistically, could you just say that consciousness is like awareness, like coming back to self, really connecting and like being more in tune with nature, which is then being in tune and connected to, you know, the universe or whatever, and, like, simplistically that almost is what consciousness is.
0: Uh Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's as good a definition like yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not going to try and define it, but that feels pretty good and pretty accurate to me. Because
1: sometimes it can feel like this huge, super lofty, like, can't get your head around Mm. a concept. But actually, if you think about it, it's almost I don't know it's like it it's quite simple in that in the sense of it's like awareness coming back to self and connect connection to the planet and other which is then this connection to whatever this bigger yeah. Yeah. universal thing
0: yeah yeah no I think that feels that feels good and yeah and so in my journey yeah like I've as I said I've, all of that's changed and I would say that is a yeah some of these words are maybe triggering for some people but like. To me, it feels like a higher consciousness and that's not a judgment of others or even a judgment of myself of the back then because it's just a journey and it's the necessary journey that we're all on. And so that's that's been mine. So I have a very different sort of outlook and perspective and value different things and feel... Yeah, the, the word connections, are really, I really think, a really good one, like connection to self, connection to nature. Also starting to see, um, see um, see myself or see ourselves as not separate from nature and not separate from each other, whereas earlier on it was like it was like me, me, me competition. Like if they succeed, I don't, if I succeed, yes. they don't. Um, so yeah, it's probably a sense that I think that sense of connection to self of like what I truly want or believe or value yes. and then connection to others in the feeling of community and relationship and then connection to nature is recognizing that firstly, how beautiful it is. And then secondly, that we are part of that and not separate from it.
1: Yes, and we're actually depend. It's more interdependence, but like we're dependent on it. So yeah. if we continue to like pillage it, then we're actually yeah. just completely
0: damaging I mean, ourselves. I, I, as I said, I'm learning quite a lot about this right now. But there are a lot of parallels, and I believe they're not coincidence, coincidental parallels of the state of the ecological environment and the state of like human health yes. and and our our collective psyche and mental well-being we are destructing at an alarming rate our environment and look at the destruction of human health and the and the like excel of the explosion of chronic disease and mental illness and like so I, i really believe they are those two things are not and this is back to the this is out of the mechanistic like oh we just like we view mental illness as as a chemical imbalance in the brain, so let's go and find a drug that can treat that chemical imbalance and then we won't have mental illness anymore without recognizing that part of that mental illness is a result of a sense of disconnection from self, from purpose, from nature, from community, from family, from contribution, and that the symptom is the mental illness. Uh, Yeah. So all that to say, I think humanity is experiencing an evolution of consciousness um, you might call it a rising of consciousness and there's a great analogy which I which I like and feels true to me and I didn't make it up it's not my analogy it's from Charles Eisenstein but he speaks about um, that we are in we are in the birthing canal um so if if the analogy is that at least in our lifetimes, like anyone who's listening to this it's you know probably 30, 40, whatever in our lifetimes when we were all born or give or take you know, 10, 20 years, either side of that, things were pretty seemingly comfortable and good. Like, especially when I was, I mean, I'll just do it through my lens. When I was born, life seemed pretty simple. And like, there was sort of different countries, different businesses, and like you pursued what you're interested in. And wasn't really any awareness of like environmental impact. And it seemed like we could go on forever in this sort of growth economy. And and yeah, I mean, it's not to say they won't, Certainly, were a lot of issues and challenges, especially in other parts of the world. But it was it was for the Western world. It was mostly pretty comfortable. And then maybe in the last twenty years, the the um, it's really started to destabilize, and we've started to see a lot of, um, yeah, destabilization, conflict, issues, um, imbalance, um, yeah, just stuff has arisen that's become quite uncomfortable across many areas of life. If you imagine a baby is in the womb, it's comfortable, it's safe, it's warm, it's cozy, it's supplied with all the food it needs through the mother, um, it feels protected. And then maybe around the 80s, like 90s, stuff started to get, like, um, uncomfortable. And that's kind of the, the baby then starts to feel like it's outgrowing the womb and it's getting, like, pressure and it's feeling like it doesn't fit anymore and it's not going to, how's this going to keep going and, like, what, what happens and... And so then it gets to a point where it's like, okay, like something needs to change. And I feel like, especially in the last 10, 20 years, a lot of people feel like something needs to change, especially like politically and in business. And so that's at the beginning. That's the mother in, that, in this analogy is maybe having some contractions and it's about to transition. And we are, and the baby in that moment is beginning to enter the birthing canal. If you imagine a baby in the birthing canal it's probably the most, like, scary, unpleasant. Um, well, everything they know is changing. Changing, and they don't know what's happening. Yeah. They, they don't know what the outcome yeah. is. So they're moving. What the next thing looks. Yeah, like. they're moving through this birthing canal, and it's there's there's it's tight and it's pressure and it's uncomfortable and it's there's maybe light that they're seeing for the first time and it's probably maybe hurt like it's sort of physically constricting and. Um, and so the analogy is that we are humanity has been in and probably still is in, I would say is still in the birthing canal. And, and there is so much pressure and instability and uncertainty. oh yeah. And turmoil. Yeah. And the uncertainty is probably another good word there. And then yeah, this, this analogy ends with like when we enter or when we exit the birthing canal, we enter into the world, it's a whole new it's a world of all new possibility. And like if you imagine if a baby had the like capacity to describe the first moments in a new world like what would you say it's like there's all this light and color and people and sound and noise and movement and it's just completely overwhelming and it's this whole new paradigm and whole new world and yeah the analogy that i sort of resonates with me is that we humanity is in its birthing canal at the moment we are birthing into a new world and i don't know what that new world looks like um We can't know what that new world looks like because we've not been in it before. Um, But I I personally believe it's a better world. It's a more like connected world, a more holistic world. It's a more balanced world, a more loving world. Um, But you've got to go through the birthing canal to get there. You've got to go through that pressure, that turmoil, that chaos, that uncertainty. And I feel like, I mean, particularly right now, we are in a world of chaos and uncertainty and turmoil. And that is the conditions that birth a new humanity.
1: Yes. And without that turmoil and conflict and pain and unfairness for certain groups of people slash the collective, you don't have to think about, well, we in a privileged position don't have to think about what else it could look like, you know? So if if everything was just like plodding along and we didn't see all of this stuff that's happening and then so many people... Um, even in privileged positions are unhappy or sick and then people who aren't in privileged positions is just like horror, then no solution is needed because we're just in Mm. this, you know, like safe, like the womb, like this safe, cosy, protected place. So actually, yeah, the turmoil and the chaos and the injustice and all of that stuff is necessary to then like think about what can come next. Yeah. And you can't have, it's a duality thing, like you can't have... Is it the duality? No, that's not the right word. But you can't have the change without the, the pain. Yeah, And that that's, again, another um, mirror reflection of, like, the individual. If, you know, when you're in trauma or go through trauma or you just feel shit or whatever, you need to do the work to get to a place of uh, being okay and peace and letting go of stuff. And that's also seen on the broader scale, which mm-hmm. doesn't make it right or fair, but it's like an opportunity then to think about how the world can be can be different and how we can treat each other differently.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I mean, like you say, as as unpleasant as it can be for many and horrific for many, and I don't want them to be going through what they're going through. It is the catalyst for change, mm. and or it can be the catalyst for change. And I think I think it's. I mean, I, I think one thing that probably everyone would agree on is that things need to change. Yes.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And unfortunately, it can be quite an unpleasant process. And so many of our systems, our economic system, financial system, corporate systems, political systems, they're clinging on to the way things are because that's what supports them being here. And it's just, yeah, it's going to be a little bit chaotic as they evolve and transform.
1: Yeah. Yeah. but And that's where it's up to yeah. us to not force that change, but offer a different solutions. Again, that doesn't have to be starting a business or mm-hmm. becoming a politician, but it could be like the way you treat someone. So again, this is something I've spoken about, but like if you're talking to someone who has a different opinion, instead of like shutting them down or like being like, I can't listen to you, actually listening and finding the common ground. So that's, I think, where, yeah, that's where we have this power we're not necessarily aware of because often we think of change as these big, grandiose things, but it can be purely on just the way how we relate to one another.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: that's actually more power not more powerful, but that is like, imagine if everyone, like, everyone has a different opinion. Imagine instead of like hating on everyone and like calling someone a name who has a different opinion to you actually sat down and just spoke like literally the word like that is like incredibly life-changing
0: yeah and i think the the thing that i'm learning is realizing at the moment is that i mean i could go through a lot of examples here but whether it comes to when it comes to human health environment community whatever whatever the thing is People on both sides—and I say sides in quotation marks—but people with directly opposed views to you generally want the same outcome. Yeah, and the common ground is the outcome. It's just yes. the belief in the perspective of how to get there is usually what is opposed. And if we can learn to not be so triggered and and judgmental, threatened, I think, yeah, probably what, you know, threatened is the is key there, and so judgmental of those that hold a differing belief or a different perspective, because. Nine times out of ten, people want the same thing. And nine times out of ten, probably more than that, people are well-intentioned and good people.
1: Yes. Yes. And nine times out of ten, they're coming, which you kind of said, but they're coming from the same place. So they want um, to be healthy, as an example. Yeah. The way they choose to be healthy just diverges, but the foundation is the same. And if we could actually connect on the, generally speaking, mutual foundation of then the output and the decision, then and that's actually where then progress happens because we're then like, you know, we're taking into account different perspectives rather than the same one to then make a different um outcome. Decision. Yeah. Or outcome. Yep. Okay. So if we we would just think, were just be talking about um business and politics and, you know, how the system needs to change. Um and again, as I say this, it's actually like a another reflection. But currently we're like sustaining how things currently are. Even businesses, which is, you know, a great thing, but are talking about sustainability and all of this stuff, which is great, but it's actually just <laughs> sustaining rather than changing. But like a word and a, um, a theme I feel is like coming up a lot and something new kind of are delving into is this idea of, regeneration. Yeah. What does regeneration mean to you? And if we had a more regenerative regenerative (laughs) um, approach to just life, business, policy, everything, just regeneration and a regenerative approach to yeah, problems and solutions. Yeah. What does the world then look like? And yeah, what does regeneration as a concept look like or mean to
0: you? Yeah. It's a lot there. I mean, I think where you started is really interesting and something I've learned a lot about recently is this like spectrum of um, like, I don't know what, there's a amazing. um, Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there. I think the first thing you mentioned around, you know, sustainability sort of having it's a moment, I think, you know, what's become clear to me and, and many others in the last couple of years is that sustainability isn't nearly enough and sustainability is in many ways still a highway to hell. And you know, if we if we simply sustain the current trajectory of of business, humanity, politics, like look at where it's gotten us. It's only I mean everything bad is accelerating. Basically, it's not necessarily true, but where we're not we're certainly not in a position I would want to sustain. Yes, in any way. Yeah. in fact, far from it. Um, and so the next step along the sustainability spectrum, I suppose, is restorative which is to kind of bring things back to where they were or allow things, create the conditions for things to sort of go back to where they were. But the step beyond that, and I, I, I guess the ultimate the ultimate aspiration is regeneration or regenerative outcomes, where we certainly get back to where we were, but then we create the conditions for life to continue to flourish. And so to define regenerative is basically, and Paul Hawken and many others have done amazing work in this space and um, have Definitions that'll be far more eloquent and um, comprehensive than mine. But it's it's um, making decisions in service of life. And if we can apply a regenerative mindset to business, to politics, to our families, to our communities, um, to every aspect of life, and we can make decisions in service of life, I mean, you don't need me to tell you how beautiful yeah. that could be. And yes. and I think from a from a a business perspective in particular we are so extractive in the current sort of paradigm of business was so destructive and so extractive to the point I mean we are we our economy is is built and designed around infinite growth and yet we have finite resources yes and every every business is converting goods is converting resources into goods and services and they literally cannot continue forever and Uh, unless we transform our our approach and create regenerative systems, and then it can. Um, And it's obviously far more complex than me just saying let's transform to regenerative um, business and and principles. But one of the key, I guess, tenets or principles of that is to um, work with Mother Nature and not against her. And so often almost any business you look to is working against Mother Nature. We are trying to control and extract from Mother Nature as though she is there to be controlled and to be taken from. It is a complete shift in perspective to see her as a co-creative ally in this process of, of of life. And when we take that perspective, not only, and this is the best part, and this is what's happened to me, is not only will the way you do business change, but the way who you are will change. Because if you see life, if you see the world through that lens of, of, of how, of of being in service of life and co-creative and collaborative with all life—it's—it's it's a completely different perspective and way of being in the world.
1: Yeah, and it—it, it, it, yeah, if that's the foundation, and that actually is huge, because then the way you interact with, yeah, um, people you disagree with or whatever, completely changes, because it's about all, yeah, it's in service of life.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so that, I mean, I think that's like all the work that I do and that I hope to do. And yet for me now, that is the psych's like foundational principle is, is this regenerative? Is this in service of life? Is this working with mother nature, not against it? Is this co-creative? Is this in service of relationship? Is this about contribution and collaboration and co-creation instead of extraction and destruction? So um, there's lots of words there and it's all quite abstract too, but I mean, that's that's really how I orient myself now in terms of the work that I do is through this like regenerative lens of how can how can I be more in service of life, human life and all life.
1: I think that's a pretty good spot to end.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Thanks for having me. <laughs> See you at home. Huh? Yeah. I guess we're walking back together. <laughs>
1: I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Dave. Please leave a review. Let me know what you think. And of course, subscribe and share this episode with anyone who you think would enjoy.